John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man that he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor, and Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor, for he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And when all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him, also to see Lazarus, the man that Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. For it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. And a large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. And they shouted, Praise God! Blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, for your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time, but this was a fulfillment of prophecy. And But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb and raising him from the dead. They were telling others about it. That was the reason that so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about his miraculous sign. And then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing that we can do. Look, for everyone has gone after him. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word. God, I pray that as we consider the events that John is speaking on here in his gospel, the events of this day when Jesus made his entrance into Jerusalem, God, that we would consider the entrance that Jesus has made in our heart. People stood and they shouted, Hosanna, praise be to the one who comes in the name of the Lord. God, may we ask ourselves this morning as we consider your word whether or not that is what we shout with our lives. If that is the words that our heart proclaims as we live each day. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak above my inability to communicate what you want us to know. God, that your spirit would settle with us here, would rest on our hearts. And we pray all this in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So there's a lot of transitioning that is going on here at this point in John's gospel. We finished up uh, chapter 11 last week and Neil talked to you about uh, understanding and asking ourselves, do we sometimes kill Jesus in our lives? Do we sometimes live in such a way that we effectively shut out the work of Jesus Christ and the ability of Jesus Christ to effect change in our hearts because we are afraid that Jesus is going to do more than we're comfortable with and our level of trust is not quite there where we will allow him to do that. 
So this week we're moving into chapter 12, and I'll tell you one of the cool things that God does sometimes, even without us noticing, is it? Uh, I was laying in bed uh, the week before last and thinking about a lot of things, about uh, the baby that was going to come soon, the bills that had to be paid soon, uh, and then where we were going to go in our sermon series and how we were going to talk about it. And I got to realizing, how cool is it that the passage of Scripture that we just naturally land on is the passage of Scripture that is fitting for today? I didn't even plan that. How awesome am I? You know, I'm not, it's not me. Uh, honestly, I didn't plan that, but I just thought it was cool. And I wanted to share that with you two weeks ago, but that wouldn't make sense, so I waited for it today. So at the end of the 11th chapter, we see the end of Jesus' public ministry. We, we saw where Jesus came on the scene at the wedding of Cana, and we saw all the things that Jesus had done, the miraculous things that he had done, and then the things that we've often taken for granted, but end up being the amazing things that Jesus has done. Uh, but I don't know if you've picked up yet or if you've noticed that every time that Jesus does something epic, or every time Jesus uh, reveals this great teaching moment, it always happens with the coming or with the goings-on of Passover. And I thought that was something neat, because if you will remember, John's gospel has one purpose, to write about the person of Jesus Christ so that people will come to believe. And what do we know about Passover? That is the time where the people of Israel had to take the blood of the lamb and smear it on the doorposts so that the Spirit of God and the wrath of God, so that death would pass over them. And that is something that Israel would celebrate every year. So how cool is it that every time Jesus did something that was life-giving, it happened during the time of Passover. It's kind of like John was wanting to remind the people he was writing to, was wanting the people that were going to be reading his gospel account, to remember first and foremost above everything that it was Jesus Christ who serves as our Passover sacrifice. It is because of the blood of Christ that has been shed for us, that death is able to pass over us. Isn't that kind of neat how John would write those things and how we are able to see how that lines up with what happened hundreds of years before Jesus was even doing ministry? In John's gospel here in chapter 12, what we also see is the first time that Judas speaks. We all know the story of Judas, the one who would betray Jesus and the rest of the disciples. We never hear from him. Until this point, this is the first interaction that we hear of Judas. So in chapter 11, we were talking about Martha and Mary and about how their brother Lazarus had passed away. And then when Jesus came to them, Martha got up and went, but yet Mary stayed. And I asked you to think about that question. Why did Mary stay? And I presented you with a few different options and you presented me with some options. Perhaps she was being a good hostess and there were people at their house and she needed to stay and visit with them. Uh, And I presented to you the idea of what if Mary saw her situation, knew that her brother had died, and while she loved Jesus and while she believed that Jesus at the end of days was going to raise those who believed in him, she didn't really feel that perhaps Jesus could do anything to affect the situation that she was experiencing now with the death of her brother. So if we go back and we look at the theme that John was trying to capture in chapter 11, it was the theme that he wanted his people, his followers to realize one thing. He wanted them to recognize one thing. 
is that with belief, there comes action. If you will remember when the Pharisees were questioning him, what does it take? What does it take? He said, I just want you to believe. He didn't say, do this, do that, do this, do that. I want you to believe. He said, I want you to believe and I'll take care of the rest. But in chapter 11, when Jesus tells them to believe, he hopes that something will spring forward from that. And so John captures that with belief. There comes action, not so that it would cause belief, but as a result of the belief that has taken place. So beyond words and claims, Jesus is trying to tell his believers that a heart that has been truly changed will show evidence in the life of the individual. And and so all the things that we learn about that we are to do as believers and the things that we're supposed to be as believers happens as a result of our trusting in Jesus Christ. Jesus' friends really struggled with that in light of their current situation. Martha said, I know that on the last day you will raise people up. She said, but Jesus, this is where we are right now. And Jesus said, you know, it's okay. You remember that, that passage of scripture that Jesus wept? He didn't get mad at Martha for her unbelief. He got mad at the fact that sin had gotten in the way of her ability to trust. Jesus Christ was mad at the fact that something had gotten in the way of his friend's ability to trust in him. Have you ever thought about Christ in such a way in your own life? That he is upset not with you because you don't get it perfect, because you have a short temper when you drive on the interstate. But he is mad that there is something there that is keeping you from experiencing what he wants you to experience. So John is writing his gospel so that people will experience that and will understand that that is what Jesus is trying to portray. So now in chapter 12, we see what this change in the life of the individual looks like in the life of Mary. It says that during this feast... When Lazarus was there with Jesus and everybody was there joining in and celebrating the Passover that was to come, says that Mary came forward and she took this expensive perfume that was the equivalent of a year's wages. Could you imagine ever paying whatever you make a year? I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Whatever you make, could you imagine paying that for a bottle of perfume? It makes absolutely no sense to us, does it? It makes no sense to me that anybody would pay that. But Mary had that. And so this one person who stayed back, who saw her situation, who saw that death had already happened, she trusted Jesus, she believed in Jesus, she loved Jesus. But at the moment, her her situation was a little bit more than Jesus could fix. Well, now she has become the person who has taken her most costly possession and has humiliated herself by pouring it out on the feet of Jesus and wiping his feet with her hair. Remember, we've talked about it before. The the job of the lowest servant in the house or the lowest person in the house was to clean the feet of the guests who would arrive. And that was because back in the day, everybody wore sandals. There were no good septic systems. Everybody walked everywhere they went. So you can imagine the condition of people's feet when they came in. But it says that Mary took her most expensive possession and she poured it out on the feet of Jesus. That is a great and wonderful sacrifice. 
But then she went even further and she wiped his feet with her hair. Can you imagine, can you imagine what faith it must take to be willing to place ourselves at the feet of Jesus and give anything that costs us an entire year's income? Could you imagine for yourself your ability to do that? I'm not talking teaching children Sunday school. I'm not talking going on a trip with teenagers. I'm not talking leading a small group. I'm talking about trusting in Jesus Christ for something so much that you are willing to give an entire year's worth of your existence to that. That is the change that Jesus Christ was hoping to affect in his closest friends. And that is the change that Jesus Christ wants to affect in you. Not because Jesus wants all your stuff. He doesn't care about your stuff. I mean, he's God, right? He has all the things because he created all the things. But what he wants is he wants you in such a way and he wants to connect with you. He wants to share with you in such a way that you understand that there is only one thing that is worthy of who you are. Have you ever heard that? There is only one thing in your life that is truly worthy of who you are. But yet so often we give ourselves to busy schedules. We give ourselves to debt, to cool things. Everybody wants cool things. Everybody wants cool stuff, don't we? But how much of ourselves do we sacrifice so that we might have something? In reality, we're more worried that people see what we have as opposed to actually getting to enjoy it. I was listening to somebody talk one time at Yale University, and they said that the human creation, the human race, is the only race that spends their entire life working for things that they don't really get to enjoy. We live in humongous houses, but yet we work 40, 60 hours a week. We have all these cool things, but yet we're working all the time, so we only get to use them on the weekends or once a month or things like that. And we have allowed ourselves to be so consumed with stuff and with things that we think are important that we miss out or we sideline the only thing that is truly worthy of who we are. That is what Jesus is trying to show his best friends. That is what John is writing for these young believers who have just lost everything. Remember, they were thrown out of their community. They were told they were no longer people who would belong. People that they had trusted and learned from and listened to their entire lives were now telling them to go away. But John sits here and he says, do you remember Mary? Do you remember that time when her brother died? And she thought that in her current situation, all hope was lost. Well, Mary experienced a change in her life. And because of that, she was willing to give her livelihood. But not only that, she was willing to take her hair and clean the feet of Jesus Christ because she understood what Jesus had done for her. She got it. She got this life. That Jesus had come to offer. And so she acted in a way to worship Jesus before she was prepared. And I'll tell you the importance of that and the significance of that. Is that when we prepare for things. 
we try to make sure that we don't get caught up in anything else. We try to make sure that we take care of all the details so that everything goes smoothly. And then what we're doing is we're making sure that we are the one that pave our way in whatever things that we're doing. So I have a relative. I'm not going to throw out which one it is. But he will spend a day packing the car. And I kid with my parents and I say, he's the last of a generation. Because, you know, there used to be those comics and those stories of the dad that would spend forever packing the car. And then they'd take off and they'd end up lost because dad was too proud to read the map. Well, that is this member of my family. He will spend an entire day and inevitably every single time they forget something. Something was packed wrong and it didn't work so he couldn't see out of the rearview mirror. Something falls off the truck because it wasn't tied down right. Even after all this preparation and all these things of getting ready to do something, it still doesn't make sense. But here Mary does something that we would say is insane. Obviously, Mary did not think through the economic consequences of what she has done. But yet she was willing to go to Jesus and humble herself and place herself at his feet even before she was prepared. She didn't even have a towel to wipe his feet with. Surely you and I, if we thought about it, would go and get some nice water, maybe warm it up a little bit because we don't want to make Jesus' feet cold. And we'd probably get our softest, nicest towel because we wanted him to understand his feet are important to us. Am I right? That's what we would do. But that's not what Mary did. You see, even the cleanest water, even the softest towel was not good enough in Mary's mind to equal what Jesus had done in her life. And so she responded with everything that she had. Mary's life had experienced a new life. Mary's heart had experienced a new life. She knew that Jesus was worthy. And Jesus deserved everything that she had. That is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus has done something for us. That is worthy of everything that we have. He's not just worthy of our first 10%. He's not just worthy of our Sunday mornings. He's not just worthy of our 10, 15 minutes in the morning with the upper room devotional. But Jesus is worthy of every minute of the day. Jesus is worthy of every single dollar that ever hits your bank account. Jesus is worthy of every day of the week. Because of all the things that we have in our life, all the things that go on, all the things that we pay attention to each day, there is only one thing, there's only one person that took our place on the cross. There's only one person who was willing to come forward and be obedient to what God had commanded him to do in such a way that death would be defeated. And that is Jesus Christ. That is the change that Mary experienced. And Jesus said she got it. Now I'm not necessarily telling you to give up an entire year's income. If you feel so led to, holler at me, we'll take care of that. I'm not telling you to quit your jobs or the things that you do in order to sit in a corner and be in a constant state of prayer. If Jesus is telling you to do that, we can make that happen. But what I am telling you is this. Jesus has come to do something in you, through you, and with you. 
And if your response to Jesus Christ is anything less than that, I think John is writing this gospel for you. And I think these words of Jesus Christ are here for you. Because some do not understand the role of Christ in this manner that Mary did. Sacrifice is what it means to be a disciple. We know that how? Because Jesus said, if any of you wish to follow me, you must deny yourself. You must take up a cross. And crosses aren't good things. Those aren't just things that we hang on the wall because they're pretty. The cross was a form of punishment, of death, of execution, and of judgment and pain. And he says, you must take up your cross and you must follow me. Did Jesus hang out at coffee shops and Sunday school rooms? Not so much. But yet he hung out with sinners. He hung out where the real people were. He hung out for the purpose of spreading redemption and offering the life that was available. And so sacrifice is what it means to be a disciple. Mary called Jesus worthy by her sacrifice. And from this we understand that the changed heart of a believer responds in sacrifice. That Jesus is worthy of everything that we have. You need to understand that first and foremost, that whatever is in your life, Jesus is worthy of it. Your children, your spouse, your marriage, your finances, your time, your stuff, all of that pales in comparison to what Jesus Christ has done for you. And even though many may proclaim Christ as Savior, some do not see or accept that Jesus is worthy in this way. In verse 4 through 6, we see Judas's response. Lord, why would she do such a wasteful thing? Would it have not been more beneficial for her to sell that oil and to use it to, to feed the poor? That was a whole year's wages. We could have fed people for a long time with that, Jesus. There's the holier-than-thou Judas, right? Amen? But then John says the rest of the story. Judas didn't really care about people. Judas was a thief. Have you ever thought of yourself as perhaps of being a thief of the things that are truly meant to be God's? If Jesus is truly worthy of everything and every moment, every breath that we take, and we don't give him that, are we any different than Judas? We proclaim one thing, but yet what we do says something else. So Christians don't always have their priorities right concerning their responsibilities. Amen or oh me? Amen, yes, that's true, but oh me, it's true, right? It is always first. It is always Jesus first, and from that comes others. It is very easy for us to focus on other people instead of Jesus. It is very easy for us to have good intentions Regarding other people and replace what is rightfully Jesus Christ's. Remember those two commandments that Jesus gave the people? Pharisees trying to back him in a corner and they said, well, what is the greatest commandment? He said, to love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And he said, but then I give you a new commandment. To love your neighbor as yourself. So he didn't replace the first commandment, but he he said as a result of the first thing that you were commanded to do, this other thing should also take place. To love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, and to love others as yourself. But sometimes it's easier for us to still 
things that belong to Jesus and give them to other people because it gives us a little bit of clout. It makes us feel a little bit better about our own predicament, our own situation. If we can give things that are rightfully belonging to Jesus, rightfully that Jesus is worthy of and give them to other people. But the problem is, is that when we do that, what happens is we begin to replace Jesus with Jesus's stuff. We begin to pay more attention to the stuff, to our money, to our time, to the things that we want and the things that we desire. And as a result of doing this, we deliver a different message than what Jesus did when he lived and he walked and he died. We live a different gospel and we tell people that there's a different way of being than what Jesus said. And sometimes we do that and we don't even know it. So we take what has been given for Jesus and we assign it to other people. We give other people our time and we don't give Jesus our time. We tell other people how good they are and how awesome they are. Not once do we mention what Jesus Christ has done. We forget that it was Jesus Christ who was the Passover. And so like Judas, we get to a rut where our relationship with Jesus becomes a one-sided deal. We expect Jesus to do this. We want Jesus to do that. When something happens, we blame God and we say, God, where are you? I'm a believer. Why did you allow this to happen? But in reality, we're living our life, our relationship with Jesus, where we don't care if Jesus gets the glory. We don't care if God is honored through how we spend our finances. We don't care if God is honored through our time management skills. We don't care if God is honored in how we live Within our family. We're looking a little bit more like Judas. Every time we talk about Judas. We looked a little bit more like the Pharisees. Every time we talked about the Pharisees. In reality we're not really concerned. About other people. Judas said those people could have been fed for a long time with that money. Jesus why did she do that? And John said Judas didn't care about those people. It sounded good. We make statements that sound good, but that's not really where our hearts are. So our words may say that we care for the least and the lost, the ones that are the outcasts of society. But our actions, sometimes even when we don't realize it, is solely based on our own benefit and our desires. If we can make people feel good, then nobody's paying attention to us. If I can make somebody else feel happy, then they won't come back at me. That's just the reality of it. Because our priorities get mixed up. So in the life of the born again believer, we see in verse 7 and verse 8. I'm going to read those for you again. Jesus said, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. That sounds pretty selfish of Jesus, does it not? Yeah, Judas, she could have ate. But now my feet smell wonderful. Yeah, we could have done a lot of good things for other people with that, but I am Jesus. It sounds so contrary to the message that we often hear of Jesus, right? To love others, to do things for others, to to help others up and all that. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. If you leave this place and tell people that, I will throw rocks at your house. Don't tell people that. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is if you look at the example that Jesus Christ gave us in scriptures, you will see a stark contrast 
of the love that Jesus talks about versus the love that the world tells us that we as Christians should have. I know I'm going to make some people angry with this. Hear me out first. If you still get mad, take it up with Jesus. So most of the time, there's a huge difference in this understanding of love. There's a huge difference even in the love that churches sometimes preach and sometimes talk about. We talk about love as acceptance. We talk about love as you do your thing, I'll do my thing. But that's not necessarily what we see in scripture, is it? The love that we see of Jesus Christ did something that very few of us are going to be willing to do in our life. It saw a person who took the place of a servant. Not just with one thing every now and then to get service hours for social clubs or things like that. But lived their life in place of a servant. Who faced ridicule for following the things that they knew they were to follow. And eventually and ultimately gave up life for the sake of the ones that he claimed to love. It is easy to say that we would give up our lives for the sake of other people. But I can promise you, me included, when it came down to it, it would be a little bit harder decision to make if we truly had to. So the love that Jesus shows us in scripture is love that had one purpose. To redeem and to restore Not to make happy, not to fill with butterflies. And if we can do that along the way, that's awesome. But I can promise you this right now, God doesn't always work that way. Sometimes it's hard following God. Sometimes denying ourself is a tough thing. But if we can understand that, then we can be the vessels of love that redeems. Do you know what it means to redeem It means to take back. So death has had a hold on humanity since sin entered creation. And the love that Jesus gave redeems and pulls life back from death. And that is the message of love that you and I are to live. 